0: But what I really want to prove to you over the next couple of days as I I speak to you is that this work is not the kind of work that many of you have been taught. This work is not about being a good person. It's not a work of doing good deeds. The work, the work is simply having relationship, a true relationship with God. And it's out of this relationship with God that life is good. That life seems to work. That life seems to fit together in a way that may not be comfortable, but it brings fulfillment and joy in a way that a life without relationship with God just is not able to bring. See, because a relationship with God mends us. It heals us. It acts as this salve, this this almost perfect thing that it's like you're, you're a puzzle with a big flaw, a big missing piece, and a relationship with God not only puts that piece in there, but it makes all the other empty pieces, it makes all the other pieces that seem out of place seem to find their right fits. And it's not that this relationship is something that you can work for, this relationship is something that you are being invited into. That you are being you are being asked, that you are being pursued, you are being chased after by God, and the work, the work is simply responding to his initiation. The work is not, the work is not you being a good person, you doing good deeds, you going on mission trips, you praying a lot, you worshiping, you come to church. That is not. The work, the work is responding to God's invitation to you into a relationship with Him. But let me pause you for a moment. That response may look like you going to church. It may look like you praying. It may look like you worshiping. It may look like you doing good deeds and being a good person. But please do not think that being a good person is the work that we are talking about this retreat. The work that we are talking about is a response to what God has already done. What he's already completed. It's a relationship with the living God. It's, the, it's a relationship with the creator of the universe that he has invited us into And once we understand that that is the work, that the faith that works, the faith that we have in God in and of itself is not works, but it is this active response to a living God, will we begin to understand the depths of the wisdom in this book. So today I'm going to start reading from verse 2. And this sermon is is not going to necessarily be easy for you to digest. And that's why I'm starting with it. So that we can have some time to talk about it, have some time to think about the implications of what the Bible has to say. What I really like about the Bible, what I love about the Word, is that these words are so much more important than my words. The words that we're about to read in James chapter 1, starting from verse 2, these words are the most important the Bible has all the words that you need to hear and it's not because they're written down in a book that is very important. The reason why these words are so important is because these are the words inspired by the Holy Spirit, inspired by the Lord. And whether or not I'm speaking to you, is God speaking to you through this passage. And, and let me tell you, the first verse in it, that we're reading today is so inflammatory it's so hard to wrestle with. And, and what I would love to see as you grow and develop as Christians is not just to read passages and let it just slide right off your heart. But sometimes you've got to wrestle with things. You got to take a passage and you got to kick it. You got to punch it. You got to really take it apart because it's, it's going to be hard. A lot of times these passages come through our ears that we read it with our eyes and we try to understand it with our minds, but we never let it touch our hearts. So in James chapter 1, verse 2, it says, count it all joy, my brothers. And when he says my brothers, and we're going to read a lot of this, it's, it's brothers and sisters. It, it's not just the guys in here. It's, it's the women too. But count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. And I'm going to stop right there for a, a, a brief moment. The reason why I say we need to wrestle with this is this is so counterintuitive. This is so difficult this is not easy. And it's never meant to be easy. So when you read this, uh, it's, it's not something where it's like, yeah, that's right. Count it all joy when we, when we face diff- different trials or different sufferings. There should be a part of you that say, what are you talking about? When I face trials, there's nothing about that trial that I consider joyful. There's nothing that I enjoy that is comfortable about trials. And if you're sitting there thinking, yeah, you know, I do count it all joy when I, consi- when I go through various trials. Maybe you haven't gone through enough real trials. Maybe you haven't gone through enough hardship because when you go through a difficult season of your life, this command seems more like a curse. I've already failed. We're on verse 2 of James and I already suck at this. I'm already a bad Christian because when I go through various trials, I'm supposed to consider it joyful? I'm supposed to have joy in my heart when bad things happen? And trust me, bad things do happen. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, Let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. I'm going to repeat that last phrase. They will receive, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. And this is really the key to this passage. And feel free to reflect over the whole book of James, even if it's just the first chapter as we go through this. But as we go through this book, I I want to show you the the love letter that is the book of James to the people of God, to to you in this room today. And again, I want to reemphasize the faith that works is a relationship With God and nothing else. It's not about you doing the right thing. It's not about you giving more money. It's not about you going on more mission trips. It's not about you doing better in school. It's none of these things that we seem to make it out to be. The faith that works is not one that is based in works. The faith that works is one that is based in relationship with a living and active God. And what we see here is so important when we look at through the lens not of actions and works and circumstances and consequences... What works here, what really fits this, is a relationship. And I I think I need to explain this whole idea that I'm trying to get down to. Because this passage talks a lot about when you go through these various trials, you're going to be grown. You're going to be molded and shaped. That essentially you're going to be made mature. And it's these times and struggles of life, these hardships in life, that is going to mature you in a way that nothing else can. That hardship, that difficulties, stress, anxiety, worry, the hardships of life are what is going to grow you. And that's just how God uses these hardships. God uses things like things going the wrong way. Not a way that you would want, but a way that it just ended up happening. I don't know about you, but I think learning... um learning that not everything goes my way, not everyone's gonna like me, has been a very difficult lesson as an adult. I think as a kid, everyone likes you. I mean, you have a, maybe a bully or two in school, but you kind of learn how to, how to stay away from them, you kind of learn how to avoid them or just not let them bother you too much. Um, but I, I think even when I was a kid, I was bullied a lot um, mostly because I was small and Asian and, and people would bully me. And I remember in, in elementary school, and I, I don't know why I remember this, but I remember there were these kids that would call me Chinese and that would really bother me. I'd be like, I'm not Chinese, I'm Korean. And I would, I would get really angry and upset, but that's childish, that's kiddish. I, I think what I learned that was really strange was when you meet someone, when, when I met someone recently who didn't like me, it's like, why, why don't you like me? Like, what did I do? Like, what, did I, what did I do to make you not like me? I mean, cause I, I will more than willingly grovel and, and apologize for whatever wrong I did to you because I can't have you not like me. I need you to like me. I need you to, to, to at least know why, why I did what I did. Like, why didn't you like me? And then their response is, I just don't like you. <laughs> It's so sad, right? It's so petty. And, and so, the, so for me, when I read this, consider it joy, my brothers, when someone doesn't like you. What kind of nonsense is that? What do you mean consider it joy when someone doesn't like me? I, again, I'm trying to use the lowest common denominator example because I, I feel like even if the kids were in here, they would say, you know, this pastor's crazy. Why is he saying that I should enjoy I should be joyful when someone doesn't like me. That doesn't make sense. It hurts. It's painful. It's difficult. But why? Why do we enjoy? Why, do we, why are we full of joy when someone doesn't like us? Why, why should we be full of joy when we don't get that promotion that we want? Why should we be full of joy when our brand new car breaks down in the middle of the highway? Why should that bring us so much joy that this book is talking about? It's because it produces faith. And it's this faith that I really want to focus on. Because I think a lot of you have have interpreted faith to be this ethereal thing. Ooh, I believe in God. And you know what? My faith is so good. I'm going to believe in you that we're going to be able to move mountains because my faith is the size of a mustard seed. So God, you can do anything, but really you, you can't even help me in my, my troubles. I, I, I say that I have faith that you can move mountains, but when someone doesn't like me and, it's, it's, and they, don't, they don't appreciate my personality, they don't appreciate the way that I carry myself and the way that I handle myself, those are the things that are too big for you, God. Those are the things that, that I'll take care of myself and I will go to that person and I will, I will ask them out to dinner and I will make sure that, that everything's okay between us. I will make sure that, that um, I am the nicest person around them, that I, I say the right things, that I, I, I just look the right way so that they'll begin to like me. I'll handle that, God. You handle all the big things. You handle things like my salvation. You handle the things like my sin and the sin of the world. You handle all the brokenness in the world. But God, I'll deal with these hardships in my life the way that I think is fit. I didn't get that promotion and that hurts, God. But you know what? I don't need to pray about it to you. I don't need to tell you about it. You already know. You already know that I didn't get this promotion that I really wanted. And so instead of me going to you about it, I'm just going to work harder. I'm going to work more hours. You know, God, this car breaking down in the middle of the road, this happening wasn't your fault, but I don't even need to go to you. I'm not going to pray about this. (laughs) Pray about a broken down car. Why would you be that crazy person when your car breaks down that you're going to, you know, bust out your guitar and sing sing praises of song? You're not going to be that crazy person because why? You're just going to call AAA. You're going to call your insurance company and you're going to yell at them. You're going to say, hey, my car broke down and I need your help. What we've done, what we've done in our world, in our culture, is that when we encounter various trials, not only do we not consider it joy, we don't consider God. We don't consider what his plans are. We don't consider him. When we encounter various trials, we don't consider a joy that is to produce faith and steadfastness in us. We just consider consider a trial. We just consider the trial itself. We try to fix it on our own own ways, on our own paths, by our own decisions, by our own wisdom. And there are some of you that you can go and you can advance even on to verse 5 and what it says, if if you lack wisdom, let that person as God who gives generously to all without reproach and this wisdom will be given. And this is a promise This is a promise that the Bible is telling you that if you lack wisdom to know what to do in these times of various trials, that you can go to God and you can ask him for wisdom and it's a guarantee that he is going to give you the wisdom in these times. And yet we don't even believe in that guarantee. We don't believe in the guarantee that God will give you the wisdom of what you need to do if you simply ask him. That God gives generously without reproach. I mean, rarely does the Bible give you this kind of assurance of of consequential action. If you ask God for wisdom, he will give it to you. It is one of these things that asking God for wisdom is, is he will always give you that. He will always provide you what he wants you to do. He always will give you the answer. And the reason why I can say this with such confidence is because he's given you the word of God. He's given you the Bible. He's given you his word that has been written for you. But many times, like I'm saying, when we encounter these various trials, we don't even consider to ask God for wisdom. Because why? God, it's not that big of a suffering. It's not that big of a deal. I can fix it. I can figure it out. I can handle it. I can deal with it. Why would I go to you when someone doesn't like me? It's not like you can change their heart. It's not like you can make them like me. And not only that, I wouldn't want you to make them like me. God, how can, I, how can I go to you, the creator of all the universe, and expect that you're going to just do what I want you to do? And you're absolutely right. God isn't going to do what you want him to do. God is going to do what he wants to do. And this is going to lead into something very important. God is not going to do what you want him to do about your trials of various kinds. God is going to do what he wants to do. And this faith that we say we have is in a loving God. A God who knows better than you. A God whose plan and methods are better for you. When I, when I read this, and I really think of what this passage is talking about, I, I, I really have to think of kind of my current situation. Um, just even as more background for me. I'm 30 years old, just turned 30 in, in July. Um, and, and being a, a senior pastor at the age of 30, you know, my congregation, everyone's older than me, pretty much. I mean, the new people are younger. But when, when I first got to church, um, and I even, when, I remember even when I interviewed uh, at the church, and they asked me my age, and I told them, oh, I'm 28 years old. And they're like, whoa, my kid is 28. And um, it's hard. It, w- it, was, it was very difficult because when, when you're, you're speaking to people your parents' age, and you're trying to be really strong and hard with them and say, I have I have the word of God and I'm trying to convey the word of God to you. Not my own words, but the word of God to you. I feel like they just looked at me and they were like, man, this kid is just talking really loud. This kid is just saying a lot. He's talking real fast. He's real passionate. But like, it felt like no one was really understanding what I was saying. And I think a lot of what it began to look like of being a senior pastor was like, I'm going to work as hard as I can. I'm going to do what I need to do. And you know what? If no one gets it, that's fine. But I'm going to do what I got to do. And people are going to listen. Like, and just be like angry and just, and just be real passionate and just like, I've got this in me and you got to listen. But like people are just sitting there just like, uh, you know, I, I, I got a lunch right after this sermon. I'm thinking more about that. Or my fantasy football team, you know, I'm down 30 points, man. And it's just like this frustration in me that's looking at my congregants and saying, you are my trial. You are, you are my pain. I got into ministry so that people like you would grow. So grow. And I, it's like the crazy person that's talking to a tree, a small tree, and saying, Grow. Why aren't you growing? I'm doing everything I need to do for you, you stupid tree. I'm giving you water. I'm giving you enough sun. I'm giving you enough soil, a fertilizer. Why won't you grow? Stop checking your phone and just grow spiritually. And I felt crazy. I felt crazy. I felt useless. I felt ineffective. I felt frustrated. I felt tired. And even as I say these words, I feel like some of you feel the same way about your situation. You feel angry. You feel depressed. You feel like everything you touch doesn't turn to gold. Everything you touch just remains the same. And it's the same thing over and over and over again. And so we become, to become, we become numb. So when something bad happens, we lose a sense, we lose a certain sensitivity about hardship. We learn. We lose a certain sensitivity to when things go wrong. We lose a childlike, a childlike attitude. You know, my daughter and I, I know a lot of you don't have kids, and I know there are a lot of kids here. But I know um, I'm not just speaking just to the parents. But even if you're a single person, um, you know what kids, how kids react, and there are there are two different reactions. That usually happens when a kid's crying. One reaction is because they're hurt. They, they fall down. And, and oh, my son. and I, I, I just remembered. My son slips on our wood floor. And he's a big dude. Like he's, he's a chunky dude. And he falls like head first. Bam! And, and it's like you can hear it throughout the whole house. And he just starts crying. And it's in those moments, my Favorite thing, and not that he's hurt. Please, I'm not. I'm not trying to get him hurt. My favorite thing is when he looks at me, and he looks at me, puts his arms around. Papa, awi, awi. And for me, as a father, as a father, when I see that, I pick him up, I put his head, his big head, on my shoulder, and and even the tears that flow down my shirt, and it's like it's like it's not just tears. It's like snot. It's like you know his drool. It's like everything just flowing down, and it's just like joy to me my son is crying and now he is no longer crying. He is just weeping in my arms and I am here to hold him and rescue him. You know, God wants to do that with you. A lot of you want intimacy with the Lord. Mm. You want to experience him. You want to meet him. I mean, that's why you're here. I mean, that's why I hope you're here. You hope you're here to, to rekindle relationship with God. Or maybe you that's not even why you came, but that maybe that's just going to be an outcome. And a lot of what happens is finding this childlike faith. That when you have these pains and these hurts, that you have these various trials, that you consider it joy that you have a father who is looking at you. That you have a father. You are not orphans. You have a father who wants you to succeed, who wants you to do well, who wants to give you wisdom. Consider it joy, not because you're hurting, not because you hit your head. Consider it joy because God wants to hold you and as he's holding you and consoling you, that he's telling you wisdom into your ear. Son, wear, wear no socks. You know, you, know, and you won't slip or, or walk slower when you're on a slippery surface. And you won't fall so hard. So many times God wants to do that with you. You face these various trials. God's not blaming you. God's not saying it's your fault that you did this. It's your fault and, and how dare you cause all this problem? You know, my son and my daughter both spill everywhere. They spill everything. I don't even know how they spill everything. We buy these cups with tops and lids that say anti-spill. No, it's all spill. Everything spills everywhere. Everything's wet all the time. And you know what it is? It's not that I'm going to blame them and say it's your fault. It is those moments, these times, That I want to be their father. I'm privileged to be their father. I'm excited about being their father because I can grow in relationship because I'm hoping and praying when they make mistakes that they don't try to fix it themselves, that they go to me and they say, Dad, can you help me? You know, Dad, I'm hurting. I need a Band-Aid. I have an owie. You know, Daddy, I messed this up. Can you fix it? I love when my daughter says that. You know, it sounds sounds petty, but there are times where she breaks something and she goes, Daddy, I broke it. And I'm like, I got it. It's easy. It's a Lego. And you just pop it right back in. She's like, oh, Daddy's so great. Daddy's so wonderful. I'm not that great. And yet my daughter is like, he's so awesome. He's so wonderful because he can fix this thing. How many of you don't even realize your heavenly father is infinitely better than that? But how often do we have broken pieces in our life and we feel like, I got this. I got this, I, I, I can fix my relationship with my spouse. I, I can make sure I, I parent my kid correctly. I can make sure that I get that new car and, and I have enough money to pay for it. I, and we, we try to make our life into something that's at least acceptable and we kind of are like, okay, it's good, it's good enough, all right, I got it. And then we drop it and we're like, oh, I give up. I give up, I wanna start over. I'm done. And uh, you know, our congregation, a lot of the guys go through midlife crisis. And it happens a lot. And they buy a new car. They buy a new bike. They, they start a new hobby. They do all these things because they want to feel, they want to feel something. I, I, I realize they want to feel an emotion. And it's, it's funny because they can feel those emotions they can start these new hobbies not as a cover to their spiritual life but as a result of their spiritual life. Mm. That they can go out and they can go to God and say, "God, you know what? My life is broken. I feel empty. God, I'm hurting right now and I need you. I don't need a hobby, I need you." And the funniest thing happens. God is like, "Hey, have you ever considered, have you ever considered going fishing?" Like, God, what are you talking about? I don't even like fishing. Son, you know, why don't you, why don't you ask one of those brothers that he's been fishing and why don't you go with him? You know, why don't you go for a walk? Why don't you go hiking? Why don't you go why don't you go, to, go, go, go golfing? And see, God will give you this, this wisdom and it's not even wisdom that's like from heaven. It's just like this, this, this push that the Holy Spirit gives you. Hey, just call, call that sister, call that brother and go out to lunch with them. And just, just talk with them. Just let them know how you feel. Share with them how much you're hurting. Oh God, I don't want to do that. <laughs> if, I call, if I call my guy friend and, and we go out and I tell him how much I'm hurting, he's going to think I'm weak. And, and see, the wisdom of God is that in those moments of vulnerability, <laughs> where you consider it joy that you're going through this as an opportunity to experience God, I guarantee you, God will open up doors and He will show you. And like I was saying, there are two responses that children have. And, and if we can go to verse 19 in chapter 1, it says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Verse 21, Therefore, put all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And the reason why I say this is the second response, and I was saying the first response that children have when they're hurt is that when they're hurt, they cry, and they cry out to their, their, their parents, hopefully, and their parent can console them. That's a great response to pain and to suffering. There's a second type of pain and suffering. And that's when my way, when my way is spoiled, when my way fails. And please do not confuse these two situations and circumstances. There's one situation where you are hurt, where you are in pain. And it is something that is, that is consolable because you are hurt and in pain. You are in these various trials. It is your circumstance. It is these outward circumstances that have caused you pain. There's another kind of pain that starts internally, not externally. And that is when your plan, your way, your desires, your motives have failed. You know, you, you spend all this time trying to make everything line up perfectly. You try, to, you try to make everything good. You try to make everything go the right way. And it, for whatever reason, it all crumbles and it all falls apart. And the response is the same. It's, it's tears. It's crying. It's screaming. It's yelling. It's sadness. It's, it's this outward emotion of pain. And really, my daughter, and again, I'm sorry I'm bringing up my kids so much. They're just on my mind. Um, my daughter, when she doesn't get what she wants, she sprawls out on the floor, starts rolling around, starts screaming at the top of her lungs. Aah! She's like a possessed little girl. And, and it's embarrassing because it's, it's not like I can control it. Okay, only when we're, uh, it's just us that you can do this. She does it even when there are people in our house that aren't family. And all of a sudden, it's like, no, Emery, there's, you, know, you, can't, you can't eat that cookie. Ah! No, Emery, you can't watch TV. Ah! She just goes crazy. And then, you know what? She goes to her room. Thank God she's old enough to do that. She goes to her room. She screams in her pillow. She screams and she starts throwing things around. She just gets so angry. And then about 30 minutes later, and it's, oh man, it takes 30 minutes. 30 minutes later, she comes down and says, Mommy, Daddy, I didn't like it when you said I couldn't have a cookie. And we're like, oh, my gosh, this girl's crazy. <laughs> she's insane. Like, what, what? What caused that reaction? That like she was she she sweats like it, it's like she she screams so loud that there's tears and there's sweat and her hair goes crazy and it's like you're a crazy woman. You need to learn. You need to learn. You can't respond that way when you don't get your way. But why? But why, Daddy? But why the cookie? Cause, honey. We're going to eat dinner in like 10 minutes. If you eat a cookie now, you won't eat dinner. But I don't want to eat dinner. I want to eat my cookie. So many of us are the same way with God. I want my way. God, you know what? I'm glad you're my dad. I'm glad you saved my life. I'm glad that Jesus came down for me. But I want to go to med school. And so get me into med school. And if you don't get me to med school, I'm I'm not going to church anymore. (laughs) God, that girl over there, oh, she's so beautiful. If you don't give me a date with her, just one date with her. Let her, just compel her to say yes to me. If she doesn't do that, then you know what? I'm not going on that mission trip anymore. Because if you can't do that for me, then why am I doing this for you? Again, see, God, being our good father, being our loving father, when he sees us throw these temper tantrums, he explains to us in the Word of God that that kind of anger is sinful. It's filthy. It's dirty. But see, this is the difference. There's not, there's not a problem with you being hurt by your circumstance, by a, something that happens to you, and you crying out to God and saying, God, I'm hurt. This sucks. I'm in so much pain, and I don't know how to handle it. God, will you console me? Will you help me? God, of course will help you and console you. But there's a different response that God will have when you are angry that you didn't get your way. Because when you didn't get your way, He's not going to console you. When you didn't get what you desired, when you said, my will be done on earth as it is in heaven, instead of your will be done, God is not going to whisper into your ear wisdom. He's going to say, what did you say? Excuse me? And this is where it gets very, very convoluted when it comes to even non-Christians. Because non-Christians experience the pains of life, and they come to church, a place where they're, they're, they're searching for some relief from their pains of life, and their answer is found in the arms of the Father, in the salvation of the Son, in the warmth of the Holy Spirit. But many times what we give to them is saying, well, the reason why you are in so much pain is because you want your plan to workouts instead you need to want God's plan you need to want his plan until you want his plan your plan is going to be punished and they're like dude my mom just died what are you saying that that was my plan that wasn't my plan at all I I just lost my job what are you saying that that was my plan and God is punishing me for my plan See, the reason why this is so important, the reason why I wanted to speak to you over a whole retreat is because this is what is going to get people into your church and not just through the door, but it's what's going to help them open up to you in, their sm- in your small groups. It's what's going to help you evangelize the love of God to them. It's by showing them that God wants to hold them and embrace them and God wants to show them that His way is better than your way. He's going to deal with you very differently based on your circumstances. He wants to console you, but he also wants to discipline you. He wants to to be affectionate to you, but he also wants to train you up to be strong and courageous. Really, when I think about the difference between these two reactions, I have to think of it this way. You know, I've worked really hard. I grew up in a, in a family that there was a lot of anger. And, and you know, my parents are missionaries, they're doctors, and you know, they're these holy people. But you know, I know better. Um, they, 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 they have their own flaws. And I remember my dad growing up, he was a really angry person. Very, very angry. And there would be times that his anger would be sinful and there would be times that his anger was justified. And it's this distinction that we need to understand. I found that the times that his anger was never justified when it was when... His way, his way, it wasn't done his way. And he got angry from it. And I remember, like, there were times, and again, I'm not here to bash my dad. Uh, you know, he's a great guy. I, you know, I love, I love him so much. But there were times that he would come home from work and food, the dinner, dinner wouldn't be ready. He would get angry. Why isn't dinner ready? And, you know, we, we, I grew up in a very Korean household. And so it was, it was kind of expected. Dinner should be ready. And he would get angry. He's like, I'm hungry. And, and it sounds so barbaric, but this is actually what happened. He would come home. For a long day of work, where's dinner? Why, why isn't dinner ready? And all of the kids, we all shudder in fear. Oh my God, oh my God, please don't get angry. Please don't get angry. And my mom would be like, uh, it'll be ready in 30 minutes. 30 minutes and he would get angry and would storm off. Unjustified anger. Sinful anger. Because it was about him. His desire was not met. His plan was not fulfilled. And so he got angry. Unjustified. But there was another time he got angry. Totally justified. I remember there was one time he got angry at me. Because I told my mom to shut up. I told my mom, mom, shut up. Oh, my dad. The anger that welled up inside of him. What did you say? Well, you just know. I, 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 it's super embarrassing. I was, I was a little kid. I was probably like, oh, my, I started peeing in my pants. Because I, I knew what was coming. The anger, the anger of my father. I, I was going to get the biggest spanking of my life. But honestly, that is the most justified anger. Because why? His son was telling his wife to shut up. See, there there is this misconception about anger that we need to kind of wrestle with a little bit. The first example, my dad coming home, he's hungry and dinner's not ready. Him yelling and him getting angry, upset. That's stupid. Like, it's immature. It's childish. It's very childish but my dad getting angry at me for telling his wife to shut up, my mother to shut up. If he just lets that go and says, oh, I'm not going to be angry. <laughs> I, I have overcome anger and I'm no longer going to be angry about anything. I am the peaceful guru. And so even when you say shut up to my wife, <laughs> I'm not angry, I'm happy, I'm joyful. <laughs> and, and he has a smile on his face. That would be a very inappropriate response to my wrongdoing. Him getting angry at me for saying shut up to my mom is very appropriate. You need to be the same way. And what I mean by you need to be the same way is we need to be very good at deciphering the difference between our way being thwarted and our way failing compared to being angry, upset, that our God is not glorified. And it's this idea that I want you to wrestle with, and I'm I'm pretty much closing up here, and I I want you to be able to go into your small groups and talk about your various experiences or your understandings of this passage and and just what we have in store. I'm so excited for what I have to share, what what I, I can share with you over these coming days. But really what I want to bring to you what I want to bring to you is this image that God is your father. That God is your dad. And he loves you so much. And he cares about you so much. And him caring about you and desiring you means that he wants to console you and he wants to discipline you. That these are very good things that your father wants to do. But many times we take his discipline, we take his discipline as curse. And we take his consoling (laughs) We take his consoling and we throw it away. What I want you to experience is to embrace God's consoling and hug him back. And that when he disciplines you, that you understand why you're being disciplined. You understand why you were being selfish, why you were thinking about your way over all else. You know, I'm really excited to speak to you um, tomorrow and the day after. But I was thinking recently, what would I do if my son told my wife to shut up? What would I do? And I realized, I realized I would probably not scream or yell at him. I'd probably get face to face with him. And I'd I'd probably tell him, you say that again, I'll kill you. (laughs) I know, that sounds terrible, right? The thing with God, the thing with God is, is, we're really bad at understanding the holiness of God. Really bad at understanding the holiness of God. What we're really good at is understanding the grace of God. And that even when I was saying in the beginning of the sermon, when I was talking about God consoling you and holding you, you're like, oh, I totally get that. I mean, every pastor in the world talks about how God is here to save us and he's here to rescue us from our sinful ways and our sinful nature. And he's here to to let us cry on his shoulder. And that's absolutely right. But there is an aspect because you are Christians, you are believers, that many times as believers, you go out into the world and you spit on God. You spit in his face. You spit on Jesus. Jesus. You spit on even the title of being a Christian. You don't want people to know. I don't, want, I don't want anyone to know that I'm affiliated with God. I don't want anyone to know I'm affiliated with Jesus. And what I feel like God wants to say, the holiness of God, what it would say is you need to die. How dare you? But the beauty of this relationship is, is that instead of telling you that, he told his son that. See, we, we had this amazing sibling in Jesus. And when God got to our level and said, you deserve to die for what you just did. I deserve, I should kill you for what you just did. Is that we have a brother who stood in the gap and said, dad, kill me instead. Punish me, spank me. Judge me instead of my sibling. Take me. Do what you were going to do to my, my brother, my sister, for what they did. And what they did was terrible because they, they called you terrible things. They disobeyed you wholly. But take me instead. And that's the beauty of the gospel. is that we're a family adopted into the household of God. There is no work that you need to do. There is nothing that you could do to make up for what we've done in our sin. But we have Jesus who has stood in the gap. And now when we go to God, we appreciate his holiness and we rest in his grace. Let's pray.